Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Gameology Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. I'm with Attila. Hello there. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive look into an aspect of game design, look at the pros and the cons and what we see going on in gaming. On episode three, we're going to be looking at over-innovation or reinventing the wheel on games when games have a great thing going for them and they just over-innovate in a way that just makes it not fun anymore. So, Attila, how about you start this one off? Sure. So the, the reason we kind of subtitled this podcast with Reinventing the Wheel is because it seems like a lot of times when a game company has the opportunity to create a sequel to an existing property, um, they're given this chance to say like, okay, we can fix everything that was broken. We can introduce new weapon types, new enemies, new this, new that. But sometimes, and I'm sure everyone has a good sense of a game where they felt this happen, they just change so much that it just doesn't even feel like the same game anymore. It's like, this isn't the game I fell in love with. I did not, when, if, I, if I wanted a sequel, if I liked the original game, I am now not looking forward to this new title because so much is different from what I originally fell in love with. So, for instance, I was a, uh, I am still a big real-time strategy fan, and while StarCraft is definitely the more popular franchise which I've played, I got my start in real-time strategy games playing the Command & Conquer franchise. And Command & Conquer has had some ups and downs in its, you know, in, over the course of the many releases, but definitely the later titles in the series have been suffering from this kind of feel of, like, the developers just changing so much about the formula, the game feels nothing like what I originally fell in love with, up to the point where uh, the most recent attempt to revitalize the franchise, what was going to be the sequel to Command & Conquer Generals, got cancelled before it even saw beta, I think, because it's like original feedback was so bad. But as to the the game that actually did see the light of day, Command & Conquer 4, um, for those who aren't super familiar with the Command & Conquer franchise, I'll just paint a quick picture of the fact that this is a base-building game where you gather resources, you build an army, and you go to tackle your opponent's base. And in Command & Conquer 4, they threw all that out the window, and they said, okay, you're not building bases anymore, and you're not gathering resources anymore. Yeah, you are managing a crawler, which produces your units, and you are hunting your opponent's crawler. So... It really didn't feel like the same kind of game anymore. Um, Did you still harvest any resources? Was the crawler just like a movable command center? Yeah, exactly. The crawler was a movable command center, but you didn't harvest resources anymore because they just gave you like command points. So you could only produce a finite number of units and you can only build a new unit when one of your previous units had died. So it was all this attempt at like streamlining the formula of the war game when... I know that the like actual battle, like the, the sending units up against one another, that was still very much the same. But I really liked the base building. I really liked the, the flexibility and the risk-reward strategy that went into constructing a base and having a physically vulnerable location you have to protect while going to hunt down your opponent. So the fact that they just tore all that out, I mean, the game was bad for other reasons than the story and the live-action cutscenes. There were a number of disasters, but fundamentally, a lot of other that other service-level stuff wouldn't have mattered as long as it was a solid game. And it just wasn't really, 
But I think the game actually would have stood a better chance if it hadn't been marketed as a numbered sequel to Command & Conquer. If they wanted to have another spinoff, they wanted to keep the headline of Command & Conquer, but they wanted to call it something different. For I think, people who hate Command & Conquer. <laughs> yeah. Command & Conquer, our best guess at what a MOBA is, this thing that kids like these days, I don't know. Um, yeah, but if, if they just hadn't stuck with that brand name of, like, this is literally Command & Conquer number four. But this is not Command & Conquer. This is nothing to do with what the... Command and Conquer series has been about, um, and that's happened like plenty of other times. I know Nintendo has been guilty of that a lot of the time. Although they will at least change the name. Like they they had um, a franchise that was really near and dear to me, the uh, Paper Mario games, the original Paper Mario uh, Thousand Year Door. Have you played on either of those? Uh, yeah, I played a bit of um, like Mario RPG mm-hmm. for Super Nintendo and and the N64 and a little bit of the GameCube one, but I've seen as... I haven't played any of the ones after that, and I've heard a lot of real mixed reviews as it's evolved. Yeah, so again, they wouldn't necessarily be regarded as bad games if they were just released as like something to do with Mario, but what made Mario Paper Mario so much fun is that it was like an RPG. So what do they do in Super Paper Mario? No battles. They took battles out. They just made it so you jump on enemies and that you kill them. Usually. Um, and then they had a lot of other interesting mechanics in the game of like rotating the world and compressing your perspective and that kind of thing. So it's not that the game didn't have interesting concepts for it. And like I said, it would have been a plenty interesting game to play. But when they called it Paper Mario, and I was expecting like either the N64 style original Paper Mario or the Thousand Year Door sequel. And what I got was Super Paper Mario. I, and I think a number of other people, ended up being disappointed by that. Yeah, they've really gone... In a way, it's very easy to feel burned and like you're being used for your loyalty to the franchise and what they've built on it. And it's like, fine, you want to do new things... That's okay, but just give it a different name. Like the two biggest examples that come to me mm-hmm. are number one, Star Wars Battlefront, mm. and number two, Final Fantasy. Yep. Now, Battlefront, real quick, they th- that's just a marketing move hugely because they got Star Wars. They wanted this. You could really easily tell this game had to come up before the movie. Mm-hmm. There was no way that game was getting delayed, and it was very easy to tell from the bare bones content. And also calling it Battlefront when you really should have called the Star Wars Battlefield Light Arcade Edition because this game, you know, it was so crushing. I had a, uh, I was in the beta and I was showing it to some people and they were so excited to hear that name mm-hmm. and tell me how they used to play drinking games to it on the PS2. And I thought, how come you weren't around when I was playing this game? <laughs> and to tell them, and they're asking me how, how it is. And it was like telling your kids, we got you a puppy. And then, but it's not really a puppy. It's like kind of like a slug and it's not very nice and it's blind in one eye and it's going to die in a week <laughs> because... This game is, there's no campaign mode, there's no solo mode, there's no split-screen cooperative. You're not, you don't have that same feeling of uh, of organizing a mass army, almost like an RTS, but taking individual control and controlling a hero, mm. almost like a MOBA in a way. And it was just such a cheap way to do it. And now with Final Fantasy, I understand that in every Final Fantasy, they like to evolve the formula and create a brand new story, you know, like introducing a job system or having a lot more controllable party characters, materia, whatever. A lot of different ways you can get around that. But then with Final Fantasy XV and this complete shift away from turn-based combat and everything that made Final Fantasy, 
you're now banking on the name, but you're playing a game that's a lot more like Kingdom Hearts, and you're looking at, like, where are the, where are the common themes here? Where are the common threads? Is it just uh, my colleague Matthew Hayes on a 90s kid, he was saying he thinks of it as the same and as a part of the series because it has a sense of wonder. And I'm like, mm. oh, okay, well, a lot of games have a sense of wonder. I, I see where you're going. You can have that theme. But for me, I think about playing Final Fantasy, and no matter if it was on the Nintendo Game Boy, PlayStation 1, it was an interesting form of turn-based combat, visiting towns, exploring the world, and when it stopped doing that and iterating in this new way to keep up with the kids or whatever they were doing, that's when I lost interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, we, we've kind of touched upon it a couple times, that so just in no ambiguous ambiguous terms, I just want to say like a lot of this, a lot of the time these decisions are being fueled by uh, publishers who are saying like, you know, even if a company wants to do something new or different, a publisher will just step in and say like, no, it, this this cool like shooter game that you're making that might be fun on its own. Uh, guess what? It's Star Wars Battlefront now. It's like, what? but this is neither Star Wars nor Battlefront. It's like, yeah, well, we bought the license, so we're going to slap some Stormtrooper skins on your characters, and we're going to call it Battlefront because it sells well, and everyone loves Star Wars Battlefront. It's like, but it wasn't that. That's not what people loved about it. It's these like really short-sighted goals and money grabs. Um, and it's not always the publisher. Um, Sometimes it usually the publishers are the ones who control the money, and therefore the, they're usually the ones who are making these kind of decisions. Um, but uh, you know, occasionally you'll have the case where, like, uh, it's very well known that uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn was originally not going to be a Kirby game, and when you look at that game, it it's not. It's not a Kirby game. You can't fly. You can't copy abilities, and that's what Kirby was all about: was copying his enemies' abilities, was like eating them and swallowing them to gain some cool new power and that never happens in Kirby's Epic Yarn but Nintendo didn't feel like the franchise could exist sort of just as a brand new thing so they're like oh Kirby's cute this game's cute let's make it a Kirby game um and you know we we when we look at these these games uh these franchises we really enjoy like Mario is such a long running franchise that you think like how can they keep things fresh um, there's definitely a lot of times where you feel like companies aren't doing enough to change a property, but it remains popular. Like Call of Duty has been coming out for so many years in a row, and I know that each developer has a different take on it, and they try to keep things fresh. Um, but at the end of the day, mm, are they doing enough to differentiate one from the other? Oh, so far they have. I mean, the, the franchise has lasted this far, and it's still getting reasonably high reviews, or at least it, it was. Um, it's anyone's guess as to how long they can keep it up. But that's at least a good example of a developer not changing so much as to alienate their audience, but maybe playing things a little too safe. And that seems to be the thing with a lot of um, publishers, right, is that they'll they'll either, like, play things safe, and that, that sort of extends to this, like, renaming of things, of, like, oh, it's, it's not actually a Kirby game, but we're going to call it a Kirby game because that's a safe bet. We know we're going to get the numbers on that. Or we're going to like not change anything between this iteration of the game and the next because it's a safe bet. We know people like this. We know it'll sell. And uh, now I'm thinking of times that that was actually useful. And even though it was changed in, in quite a way, but in quite a ways, but it worked out pretty well. If you look at the Super Mario series, now it's like, Super Mario 1, obviously a pretty popular game, did oh, pretty yeah. well. Now, they made a sequel for it in Japan, and... Too hard. Yeah, it was incredibly <laughs> hard, and it wasn't big enough 
of a change and they knew that the North American audience and the European audiences, they needed something big. You have to make it a lot bigger, better. This is more of a spectacle over for the North American audience. So they took, I think it was called Dookie Dookie Panic and, and just slapped some Mario skins on it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they did get the Star Wars Battlefront treatment, but that was actually a pretty great game. That's speculation, by the way. I don't know if Star Wars Battlefront was originally was or wasn't intended. I'm, I'm not speculating that. I'm just as an example. You heard it here first. Oh, no. So now yeah. that one worked out really well. It did feel a lot different, but I think that, um, I don't know if Dookie Dookie Panic originally, I'd be interested to see like how much of development was, like if any was done with Nintendo or if they just threw the skins on because it still has a oh, Mario. It was a, game, it was a game made by Shigeru Miyamoto. It felt this, kind of the same way that Mario 3 did. With the mechanics. So you were still doing the same basic things. You were doing it in like a much different way. And there were some mechanics that were gone. But it still felt the same. And it was still a really high quality game. Now with um, a game like Mario Kart. Now Mario Kart has stayed pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Simple like to the point of it. And actually simple is a really bad word for it. But it's, it stayed very similar. Mm-hmm. Now um, I think they took it to 3D. And that was a big change. But that's really when the series evolved for the better. Yeah, a lot of people would say that the Super Nintendo one, they'd probably rank it uh, lower. I still really love it, and I love that it was all about racing, and it discouraged you to banging into people. But um, Mario Kart 64, bringing it to 3D with four players, they matched the technology the same way Mario 64 did and the way Zelda did, and they knew it had to change, but it was still about racing, and it added in some other, a little more party elements, where like bumping into people is okay, blue shells, things like that. But um, with Mario Kart Wii, what I didn't like is that they ended up widening the track, and when you widen a track, you absolutely lose a sensation of speed because your things aren't whizzing past you as much. They also added a lot more races, like, hey, now there's 12 people on the course. But what can happen in a game like that that has so much like random attacks going mm-hmm. on, you can get stuck in the middle. And when you're playing with three of your buddies and you're bumping into each other, it's all fun and games. But when you're playing like a bunch of computer people that have no emotion and are just smashing into you relentlessly, and you don't just get hit once, but you get hit multiple times, I found that like... Uh, definitely a change for the worse. And with Mario Kart uh, 8, now for the Wii U, I feel like they've tightened that up, the speed is back, and they've, they've fixed that. Um, now, another another sort of like genre that's happened is with sports games. And originally, the sort of the hardware was a little more, let's say, look at the NHL series, for mm-hmm. example, since we're in Canada. They felt a little more arcadey when you had about three buttons or when you had two buttons, say with Blades of Steel. With the NHL series in itself starting on the Genesis and Super Nintendo, they had a few buttons. You could speed burst, you could pass, you could shoot, and you made your way with a combination of those. But now with, say, NHL 16 or 15 or ever for the last, um, since like the PS2 era, I'd say, even the PS1 era, they've become so complex and such a simulation of reality, it almost takes the fun out of it. Because if you're playing on a team that is terrible and you have a terribly rated goalie against a team that has a fantastically rated goalie, then you're almost you almost can't win. It's like too much of a simulation of it. And I think that really takes the fun out of it. And that leads into a game like Rocket League that ha- simplifies it again, has a boost and a jump button, and that's it. And it's all up to the player again for innovation. Yeah, you know, that's... Uh... If you if you really want to see a, a franchise that's been criticized for not innovating enough between iterations, but you know it's the infamous like roster swap between one version of NHL and the next. Um, you know I I don't actually play those kinds of sports games, so I don't want to comment on the like the minute things that I'm sure fans of the series will appreciate. 
But uh, I think that that franchise is just surviving on the popularity of the NHL license, and who knows how long it could really last on its own merit aside from that if they didn't have the, the name associated with it. Yeah, and much, much similar like if they would have called uh, Battlefront Battlefield in Space. You know, you would have seen the review scores drop big time and nobody would have wanted to play it. But it's what they did nail in that game was this incredible reproduction of the Star Wars universe. I mean, it's still one of the best looking games that's come out. It's 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 damn near photorealistic. And, you know, the sound effects are something very easy. You can just draw from the movies. Um, That is interesting, though, what you're saying about sports in that a way that they have, say, in the NHL series... They there are like minute details that they change, adding things like board play, but in a way they're refining it further and further and further into this uh, realism. Now there's a couple different examples I had where for some reason they took perfectly fine games, mm-hmm. space games, and they added ground missions. And the two examples I wanted to bring up were Star Fox, mm-hmm. and there was also Rogue Squadron Three, uh, another Star Wars game. The first couple Rogue Squadrons are fantastic, and the N64, GameCube especially. Fantastic games, challenging, added great innovations like split screen. Mm-hmm. More fun. Take the same thing times two by slicing it in half. It's a great mathematical formula. But we saw with that one in Rogue Squadron 3, they had you running around on the ground, and you had a developer doing something that they really had no business doing, and people playing a game that they don't want to be running around as a person. It's like if you get used to riding a bike and how fast you go, you don't want to be running around. So going from an X-Wing... To running around like a fool is not fun. And we saw that, too, with Star Fox and that, the adventure game that they had in the adventure series. Yeah, that, uh, that game that's, like, for all intents and purposes, um, like, just simply was not a Star Fox game. I think that's another one. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like that's another game that was, like, originally not going to be a Star Fox game that they was originally going to be starring the girl, Crystal. And then they, like, said, oh, okay, now this is a Star Fox game. Um, and it's just, it's yeah, it's, it's this weird feeling of like adding in elements that don't really belong that don't complement what people like about the game and that's the that's the main sort of issue when you when you run into like that that's the reason we had the original title of like over innovation is like people what people like about this game they like the space combat they like the like flying through and like shooting people in this you know big open space environment or like planet side you're still have this like freedom to fly around and what they were trying to do is add another difference in kind in both games they were trying to add like this extra mode that felt completely different from the original game but that's probably their mistake it's like they they shouldn't have uh, sought to add an element to the game that was so different that it actually departed from what people actually liked about the game um I'd I'd like to touch upon at least one more example that I can think of where, uh, you know, a franchise that has been sort of criticized for being very similar one to the next, and um, that would be Pokemon. I'm sure every time a new Pokemon game comes out, there are so many more new Pokemon that are added. They've added things to the series like double battles and then triple battles and uh, special abilities for each of the Pokemon, new moves, new tactics... The meta of Pokemon has evolved a whole lot, um, but what I think is one of the, the strongest releases in Pokemon in, in recent history was when they made Pokemon black and white. Have you played much of the Pokemon franchise at all? I've only played red and blue. Okay. Um, and that was pretty good. Didn't need to change that. No, and th- that's really what made black and white so special, is it was like playing red and blue all over again, because they said, hey, 
this time when we added 150 new Pokemon, those are the only Pokemon you're going to bump into throughout the campaign, throughout the first time. So, like, all over again, you have that feeling of, like, discovery, of, like, raising new Pokemon and finding out what they evolve into. You don't have this feeling of, like, oh, great, another Zubat in a cave. Like, I've only been seeing you for the last three generations, and I'm so tired of it. Um, so Pokemon Black and White managed to strike this great balance of being more Pokemon. Zubat which is... just wants to be your friend. <laughs> yeah, but, um, uh, you know, when, when we want, when we, the reason we look for these sequels, the reason we're excited by them is because we have enjoyed the original and we want more, but if it's the exact same, if it's the same Pokemon we've already caught before, it's not as exciting. Um, whereas with Black and White, it was the same game that we loved, but with all new Pokemon. And even going back and playing Black and White again, um, I find that it's not quite as drastic as it was. And that, like, Black and White was really great for other reasons in terms of being like the the story was reasonably well written for a Pokemon game. Um, if you remember in Red and Blue, these like super uh, great Pokemon trainers, the gym leaders. They just kind of stand around the gyms, they don't do anything, and then finally in black and white, the gym leaders actually did things that affected the plot, and that felt really great. And then now you get to the newer iterations of the Pokemon games like X and Y, and the gym leaders have gone back to not doing anything. It's like, why did we take the step back? I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's the, you know, games like Pokemon um, black and white, that following that model of like giving players more of what they want while finding a way to tweak things to keep them fundamentally fresh and new. Um, that's really what developers should be seeking to do when they create a sequel to one of their properties is finding what people liked the most about a game, focusing on that core aspect, improving it, um, balancing it and tuning it from one um, release of the game to the next, you know, I think it's in, it's so easy to make safe bets and not change anything. It's also tempting to just like make something completely different, but slap the same name on it. But what players really want and well, okay, I speak for myself, but what I think, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that, Players want something that is familiar in terms of, like, they fell in love with that game for a reason, and they want more of it, and, but more shouldn't just be the same thing all over again. There needs to be something to keep it fresh um, without deviating from what they fell in love with in the first place. Well, that is going to do it for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at GameThingTalk. Where can they find you, Attila? You can find me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro and on my website, BluishGreenProductions.com, where I will be posting a blog entry with my extended thoughts on today's subject. And stay tuned for next week's episode, which is going to be covering new innovations in gaming and how gaming has changed. Bye-bye. <laughs>